0: I'm trying to step back into my 54 uh, year old self again. If you saw me riding the mini bike around yesterday, that was a 12 year old version of, of myself. I can't take full responsibility for him. Uh, thankfully, the Lord. Uh, Got, got a hold of me at a, at a, at a critical point and, um, and I found my presence of mind again. So trying to get that back uh, as uh, we gather for worship. Um, but all that aside, um, it's been kind of interesting, the correspondence between uh, how we've been looking at the passages in the book of John that are that are uh, called the I Am passages. Uh, John had said a lot of, lot of things about Jesus and as he framed it he came up with uh, seven that clearly were defining statements where Jesus said I am and uh, they have a lot to do with who God is and as we gather for worship uh, they say that the type of God that you worship will define the type of person that you are. And it's kind of a profound statement because as we look at all the things that Jesus is and as we worship him, we find that those characteristics become characteristics that define us. Well, as a, 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 before I move into that aspect of it, um, my friend Bob Truby, who have um, got a chance to uh, get to know over the years, uh, he's from uh, the Austin Town, Youngstown area, a uh, classmate of Roger Hack, and a um, uh, uh, person responsible for uh, InterVarsity Fellowship on the campus of Ohio State uh, University as well as uh, impacting other universities. And so the work that you've done uh, down there uh, in the years that I've known you, it's been pretty exciting to see you go through a variety of changes and, um, and, and then have some new strategies for what's happening. And because you're in town, uh, he and his wife, Marilyn, have celebrated 40 years together. I know they don't look uh, that, that, uh, that senior, but congratulations on that. And that just happened this year. Um, and they're back in town visiting some friends. And I uh, had, had Bob... Uh, 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 while he's in town come and share with us some of the things that that's been going on so uh, why don't you uh, give us an update on the work we've been supporting
1: that sounds great okay well I appreciate the chance to uh, share with you this morning Uh, pastor Moore was great in fitting us into the schedule here Uh, uh, we were uh Uh, Fairly last minute we had planned this uh, gathering and uh, I said, hey, we're in town, is there any chance of stopping in? And he was very gracious to let me do that. Thank you. I want to thank you especially because you have been partners in supporting our work, uh, reaching graduate students and faculty at universities in the Ohio Valley. I think you've been doing this now for over 10 years. uh, And uh, it just means a great deal to us that you care about... Uh, people that we care about, and uh, seeing these reached. I want to talk today particularly about our faculty, the faculty part of our ministry. Um, we work with faculty groups in uh, Ohio, western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and a, and a group in northern Kentucky. This uh, slide is a slide of uh, one of our, our good friends who kind of illustrates the vision for our graduate and faculty ministry, Kate was, uh, her name's Kate Crosby, Uh, it's hard to see perhaps on here, was one of the first uh, people to be involved in our graduate fellowship at Ohio State years ago. She went on uh, after completing her degree in teaching English as a second language uh, to teach at several universities. She helped start our faculty group at the University of Cincinnati. Now she's working uh, as a faculty person at Columbia Teachers College in New York City Uh, working with uh, international students coming to the United States, uh, learning the English language as well as teaching others how to do that well. I think that sharing our language, helping people become acclimated is one of the important ways that we welcome uh, these internationals to the campus as Christ has welcomed us. Uh, Kate, uh, in our grad ministry, caught a vision that her work was not simply a career but a calling from Jesus and that she serves him in that work. Next slide has some different impacts that we've seen in the last year that faculty have. And I apologize, I, I, next time I do this, I'll, I'll make them bigger. Uh, <laughs> so I'll read them. Uh, at any rate, uh, three, three exciting quick stories I'll share. One was of a, 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 a faculty advisor at Cleveland State who boldly advocated for our graduate student, international student uh, group on the Cleveland State University campus earlier this year when the university wanted to remove them from campus because they required their leaders to be Christians. Imagine that. <laughs> and uh, this faculty advisor reminded them that what they were doing was actually against Ohio State law. And, uh, uh, and uh, within a week, their privileges were restored. Uh, the second story is a story of a Duquesne faculty person who went through some evangelism training that our staff worker in Pittsburgh offered and subsequently had a, had a student in their office who was needy who was talking to this faculty person about uh, his faith, and this faculty person had a chance to lead him to Christ uh, uh, because of just and, and the, tr- the training they had helped, and it was so exciting to be a part of this student's life. Faculty touch many students lives and they're on campus for over 30 years. Imagine that kind of impact. This spring, seven of our Miami University faculty put together a week-long series called Professors Who Believe where they spoke about their own testimony of how they came to faith and how they relate their faith to the work that they do at Miami University. These are professors that students at the University have had in classes and uh, and the uh, effort was actually sponsored. We can go to the next slide here. The effort was actually sponsored by five different undergraduate groups. Uh, uh, The Bridge, uh, Faith and Fitness, InterVarsity, Navigators, and Crusade all sponsored a different day of each week and the speakers during that day. In all we had over 500 people come out to these lunchtime gatherings uh, one of the most exciting things, too, was that it, it helped us surface several Christian faculty who had been kind of hiding in the woodwork. And because of the boldness of these faculty and publicly in the university speaking about their faith, other faculty were emboldened as well. Going on to the next slide, we're, I, I think you've seen some of the impact in what I've shared about how faculty can have a great impact on campus. We're in an exciting season in Intervarsity nationally. Our leadership, out of prayer, has believed that God is calling Intervarsity and other campus ministries together to finish the job. To, re, to our our motto is every corner of every campus. And we're wanting to see students and faculty in every corner of every campus in the United States come to faith. We're looking at about 3,000 campuses. Right now, InterVarsity and some of the other major ministries together are covering roughly 1,200 of those campuses. We're praying and working and strategizing that by 2030, we would have ministries on all 3,000 of those campuses. We want to finish the job that God's entrusted to us in university ministry. Uh, One of the things we're praying about in the Ohio Valley is that we want to have faculty ministry at 40 campuses by 2024 and 80 campuses by 2030. And the next slide may share some of the strategies that we're uh, beginning to pursue toward that end. We think the beginning... Is launching faculty missional prayer groups, gathering faculty to pray about their mission on campus. We put together a four-week uh, starter course, as it were, to help groups that are forming uh, to do that. We're doing a series of seminars in uh, web-based seminars this summer or uh, this year in the Ohio Valley that we're calling Lunch with a Purpose, one hour webinars during the lunch hour that faculty at different campuses can uh, uh, log into and be a part of with uh, significant speakers and resource people in our faculty ministry. Uh, And and the purpose of that is to really encourage uh, the faculty on campuses where we already have ministry, but also where we just have maybe a single contact to connect them to the rest of our ministry and begin to cast a larger vision for what they might do on their campus. We're looking to form strategic partnerships with our undergraduate ministry colleagues. This fall, for example, we're doing a a workshop as part of their fall retreat with faculty from campuses in Eastern Ohio. Uh, We're looking to start a monthly video conference series with sort of key faculty contact people on campus just to kind of troubleshoot and give resources for faculty groups on their campuses. And finally I'd love eventually to hire four traveling faculty ministry specialists that would work in different parts of our area to, to visit and support these groups that we hope to plant and develop on many of these campuses. Well your work Uh, Your prayers, your financial support helps make that possible. Helps us to reach the people who are touching students' lives year after year after year in the university. You often hear bad reports about what's going on on campus. We think that there could be a different kind of report, where we have faculty who are having a redemptive influence on the people, the ideas, the structures of our universities. And we really appreciate your prayers and your help in making that possible. So thank you very much. Love to visit with you more afterwards.
0: That is some really exciting stuff you got going on there, Bob. Um, I- you're, you are more stoked than I've ever seen you. This whole thing is just starting to take on a beautiful life of its own, isn't it? A lot happening. A lot happening. Uh we're, We are living in that moment, I think, where in, on the campuses, uh, there is so much, for lack of a better word, um, chaos and, 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 and just really unhinged behavior, that there's a vacuum right now. And somebody has to be a voice of reason in the midst of everything that's going on on on, on campuses that can uh, point to the the light and the truth. And so I think it's it's really InterVarsity's moment uh, to be able to shine. Uh, because of what, what, where we're at in our culture and in, in the, uh, the need for young students who are trying to crystallize in their mind what it's all about and what they want to commit to in their ideas. And uh, so there has to be somebody representing the Lord as a missionary in that environment. And I'm grateful that you guys are strategically uh, targeting faculty members and helping them to coordinate and align and, and uh, see as a force multiplier the power of collaborating together. Uh, so please keep those guys lifted up in prayer as they do that. Now. That really is probably the application side of, of what we're going to look at today as far as uh, the I am statements that are found in the Bible. So in, um, in a semi-condensed version of the message on uh, what Jesus had to say in John 8, uh, we're going to explore a little bit about what that means for us. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can take a look at John 8. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 12 uh, and, and following. And maybe this is a familiar story to you, maybe not. So here we go. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him and they said, here you are. "...appearing as your own witness, your testimony is not valid." And Jesus answered and he said, "...even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone." I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one with I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, "Where is your father?" "You do not know me or my father," Jesus replied. "If you knew me, you would know my father also." And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, if I I can just kind of give a little bit of um, uh, light on on a passage on light. uh, I was just thinking about what Judy said early on in worship. How she had taken... uh, uh, two eyes that had been clouded by cataracts and surrendered them to the mercy of a physician who had the skills and the qualifications to reorient her eyes in such a way that they could regain that capacity. When my mother went through that, her response was, well, now that I can see, I can see a lot of things I don't want to see, like all the cobwebs that are on the uh, ceiling. I realize now I've got to clean a lot better, and I'm probably going to have to do some repainting. And she said uh, there was so much about her world that just began to open up that she didn't even realize was right in front of her. Now I don't know if you've ever had cataract surgery or not, but my guess is your experience was very similar. And as, um, as I just think about my mom being able to see stuff that wasn't there, I realized that a new light was sort of shed upon a set of circumstances that were right in front of her the whole time. And that really is the, the point that Jesus is making. I've come into the world, Uh, John had mentioned in John chapter 1, he said, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. And then he goes on to say, uh, there's one who came into the world uh, who gave testimony to the one who would be the light of the world, who would shine the light in the darkness, but the darkness would resist it because the darkness didn't want exposed those things that would be condemning. And then in John 3, uh, you know John 3.16, you ever watch football on TV and you see John 3.16 on there? Well, it is also in Embedded in a statement about light as well because uh, in John 3 John tells us just as Moses lifted up the staff with the serpent on it in the wilderness uh, so the son of man uh, is lifted up so that all who look upon him may be saved like they were in the wilderness Now, if you're not too familiar with the Old Testament, uh, there was um, a set of conditions that were happening as God called his people out of Egypt. Because so many of the I am statements refer to the Exodus experience, including that very phrase. But when, when John's writing about this, he tells us of the time... When the people were called out of Egypt, out of bondage, into a new relationship with God and new hopes and possibilities. But the problem was human nature kicked in and people started grumbling because they weren't happy with the way things were going. And they, they really cast their frustrations on Moses and on God and God got so tired of hearing it that... He just said, you know what, if you're ungrateful and you are not envisioning the possibilities here and you're not seeing how I provided, I'm just going to let bad things take over. And the story goes that a bunch of vipers uh, approached the camp and a lot of people died. And they died because of their lack of gratitude, their ungratefulness. They died because their hearts were still filled with evil. And Moses said, I'm going to raise my staff and it's going to have a serpent entwined on it in some mysterious way. When you look at it, you'll be saved. And so the people that trusted, who looked upon the staff, found themselves um, uh, basically protected. And when, so where I'm going with this is when, John writes about Jesus being the light. He said, when people look at Jesus on the cross after he's lifted up, they find that they are saved. Now, here's the whole point. When the light comes into your world and mine, it's not comfortable, is it? Because what it does is it lays back what we tend to hide it lays bare, rather, what we tend to hide. Our selfishness, our sins, our anger, our, our, um, our, 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 our desires that aren't right, our angry and hateful thoughts, our covetousness. On and on it goes. And these are things that we don't want other people to see in us But as we come close to the light, the light exposes it. And a lot of people who come to church want to be rescued. But whenever God begins to clean us up a little bit, we don't want to deal with those things that are not right with Him. And what Jesus does is He comes into our lives in a very loving and gentle way But his very presence exposes the things in us that we know are there, but we're not comfortable with. And there are really two possibilities here. One is we trust God and we go the uncomfortable path of letting God work through time and through our hearts to change us into the likeness of Jesus. And his light on our souls lays bare those things that aren't right. So when John tells us in John 3 that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, we also need to read John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so Jesus' job isn't to come in and condemn everybody. However, his very presence has a way of illuminating what is there. Now, it's interesting, being a pastor, a lot of times people, when they discover that, Transform. Here's how the transformation goes. I'll attend a gathering and I may look like my 12 year old self, like I did yesterday, and they'll just think I'm just an ordinary guy. And so you can hear the profanity flying, you can hear the coarse jokes flying, you can see some stuff coming out that isn't so pretty. And then we'll get into a conversation. Oh, by the way, what is it that you do again? and after all that I'm like um, I work with people most of the time I just say I'm a pastor and I don't say it in a judgmental self-righteous way I just say it in a nonchalant way and that's when people show transformation it is amazing all of a sudden I see another version of themselves that's unrecognizable and yet In that experience, and I'm not perfect by any stretch, I kind of think that that's what Jesus saw, was only it was sort of the flip side. When he came into the environment and they were exposed by the light of his presence, they began to see things in themselves that they were uncomfortable with. And there's really two responses. One is to be drawn in and realize that he's showing us a better way. The other way is to get defensive and try to defend who we are at that point in time. And our pride will feed that. Now, this is why Jesus is so difficult, is we think he's here to judge us. But the reality is, he's here to save us. What happens is the law and the Holy Spirit bring conviction upon us because it is a standard of righteousness that reveals where we fall short. And we are, in a lot of ways, condemned by, 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 by God's law. And it is a law that defines his very character, his very person, But God isn't so rigid in his adherence to that that he says, I can't be around people who aren't righteous like me. But rather, God is so compassionate and loving in his heart that he says, no, I'm going to put myself into that environment where there is profanity, where there is coarse language, where there are jokes that are being told, where there are attitudes that aren't healthy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a better way. And I'm going to draw people into a better way. And God knows this about us. That there are some of us who are caught up in all of that darkness who feel trapped. We feel trapped by fear. We feel trapped by the desire to project something that uh, to other people that gives them the impression that we, we are somebody different, we're a better person. We feel trapped by desires that we can't get a hold of or habits that lead to addictions. We feel trapped by, by the darkness that, that, that grabs onto us. And so here's what we do. We just pretend. We project to other people that we got it all together. And we project to other people that other people have problems, but I I that that those kind of things, that's not me. And what I discovered was um, there's a part of us that we create that's the Bible calls our ego. It is a part that says, I want people to see this version of who i am but i don't want people to really know what's going on inside of me and i put and i, and I call this the contrast between the ego and the soul and the ego is what all of the jewish teachers were basically operating from They had established themselves within the social order in such a way that their presence garnered respectability. They were religious. They were trained. They they had it all together. And they were pretty comfortable in how they established and constructed, carefully crafted their world so that what other people saw was... Uh, But basically, a a construction that they had put together that said, this is what it means to be a godly person. This is what it means to be somebody who's respectable. This is what it means to be what you should be, but you're not. And that's what they were projecting out to everyone. I'm sure that that's never happened on Facebook. You know, this is who I am. You carefully uh, uh, craft all the right pictures that convey all the wonderful things about how wonderful your life is so that everybody else can look at that and say, wow, they've really got it together. And also say to themselves, wow, I've got some work to do. It's just what we do. It's what the ego does. And I would say that if there's one thing that we try to preserve and defend more than anything else is that ego version of ourselves. Why? Because we're insecure. We're fearful. And we're not even sure about our identity. But that is exactly what happens when we disconnect from God. When we step outside of the garden and it's just us versus the world. We have to create a version of ourselves that's safe. A version of ourselves that says we're worthwhile. A version of ourselves that says we're even better than other people. We have to do that. We have no choice because it's just us. Versus the world. And so all of us grow up trying to protect that person inside of us that needs protected. And that's our soul. You know, when you're at home and you're talking to the Lord or you're talking to yourself and it is so intimate that there are things about you that come out that you know about yourself that God knows about yourself that has to do with your soul your soul is that real person inside of you your soul i would imagine is the reason why you're here because what's happening out there that's a different show But there is something deep inside of you that says, I need to connect with the Lord. And I'm going to allow my soul to be drawn into his presence. But there's also something inside of you that says, protect, keep safe, project an image of who you are, don't let people get too close. Because your ego, your ego is the thing that Jesus reveals with the light. Your ego is God's way of saying, I see beyond that into what's really what's going on. And for the religious leaders, the ego was the one thing they wouldn't let go of. Now here's the thing, when Jesus came... He embedded himself in a group of people that were called by God to be representatives of God, to be knowledgeable of the things of God, and to live a way of life that was peculiar, that was different, that would have all of the characteristics of God as well as the attitude of God and the posture of God. But somewhere along the way to the temple... it got got sideways. And by the time God showed up in the form of Jesus, they didn't even recognize who he was. It had gotten so distorted in, in, in what it was meant to be. The religious leaders of all people should have known. But see, the ego side of us doesn't want God to interfere doesn't want God to wreck our world doesn't want to change it up Jesus went so far as to say that if anyone would come after me they must deny their ego and die to their ego and take up their cross and follow me that's kind of how I interpret it and the struggle that I have as a pastor is that when I start preaching, people used to kind of kid me and say, well, you've gone from preaching to meddling because you're starting to get into the things that I know aren't right about my life, but I'm not, in, I'm not in any way motivated to change them. And one of the difficult things that I have as a pastor is to help people be wooed into the love of Jesus while realizing that when you are drawn into a relationship with anyone, especially Jesus, it's going to change who you are. It's going to influence how you look at things. And it's going to be upsetting. It's going to be a little disturbing because you're going to go from a person that lives in fear, a person that is defensive all the time, a person that enjoys actually reveling in taking offense against other people, a person that is harboring um, uh, uh, you know, sins in their hearts that, um, that, that, that they don't really want to let go of. And Jesus is looking at us squarely in the face and he's saying with eyes of love, You can't take that with you. You can't take your ego with you into the new creation. It doesn't fit, it doesn't belong. But what you need and what I have to offer will enable you to be able to go there into that new creation. So Jesus, he had a pretty tall order when he came and he started showing love, but he also started speaking the truth in love. And the more he did, the more egos took issue with him to the point where it escalated in a huge battle between the soul of the very Son of God himself and the egos of the people who were saying, we don't want you changing the way things are. And eventually, it cost him his life. But God said, the only way it'll work is you have to die to yourself and you have to be born again. But you're not born again from below, but from above. So when Jesus said to the, to his, his, um, to the grand inquisition here, when they, when they inquired, where are you from? Who are you? Jesus said, I'm from above and you are from below. I am from the Father who you do not understand. They were really trying to get a handle on him so they could control him, so they could neutralize him, so they could shut him down. And Jesus said, who I am and where I'm from is not from this world. It's from beyond this world. It's from the Father. I have an identity that is not based on anything made up in this world. It is an identity derived from the Father. Now, if you can follow me in this message, which it's not an easy one to say, I I want you to know that when you come to that place where you finally tell your ego, you're no longer in control here. That's the first step in being born again. The hardest step that I had probably when it came to coming close to God was coming to church and then coming forward and then asking the pastor to baptize me so that I could become a new creation. My ego was saying, no, 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 you don't want to do that. But my soul was screaming, I need that so desperately. I need to be reconnected to God. I need to change my life. I need to be a different kind of human being than the kind of human being I've been up to this point. And my ego's saying, no, 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 no. And that's the conflict that Jesus created with the religious people and honestly... as as it turns out as we read the story, with everybody. Because when the light shines into the world, the darkness doesn't understand it. And when the darkness begins to understand it, the darkness recedes. But the light keeps shining. And it shone so brightly that some people said, despite what my ego is telling me, that I shouldn't do that. God is calling me and he's calling me with the kind of posture that says to me he's doing everything within his capability without overriding my will to woo me into a relationship with him and Jesus embodied the very soul of God in such a way that when our souls saw his all we could do is say yes I am the light of the world Jesus said and as Jesus has come into our world through the word through the testimony through the spirit he speaks to each of us and he's asking us What is it about our egos that keeps us from coming close? What are we trying to protect? What are we trying to defend? What are we trying to preserve in terms of what people think of us? And for some of us, we've come to the conclusion that there's nothing that we have that's worth saving compared to the Savior who's worth following. And I just want to pull you into that presence because when he said, I am, he said, I am giving you a new identity that is from above. I am here to adopt you into a new family that is from above. I am here to create in your life a new way of being that's from above I'm here to give you a new identity that makes you a part of God's family and the writer John writes later on in Revelation that there will actually be a stone that is written in heaven that has a new name for each of us and it's God's way of saying you're one person down there, but up here, you're a transformed person with a new name. Jesus said, I am the light. I've come to expose the darkness that's in the world, and I've come to draw all men unto myself who will hear what I have to say. So here, God is Bringing us to a place where he's offering us a new identity, a new hope, an opportunity for our souls to be liberated from the bondage of this world. And he's given us a, a status in his family as image bearers and as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's offering all of those new realities that are so foreign to us. But when we walk into them, we find that they change everything. And I'd like for you to be a part of that family. It's the reason why we're here, to create an opportunity for you to know the riches that we have in Christ and the deliverance that we can offer from the things that keep you captive.